title of this message here this afternoon is Soul Security. Soul Security. One of my favorite preachers in, from the past was a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was born in Wales. And shortly after, uh, his family moved to London. And he studied medicine as a young man. He was actually, at his medical school, he trained under a man who was the physician to the royal family. And he was next in line to be the royal physician. A brilliant, brilliant man. This is in his 20s. And then he heard the gospel in his soul for the first time. He was converted gloriously. And after struggling with this call that he was feeling for months, he left medicine and went and became a preacher. Moved back to Wales, preached at this small little church in Wales, and eventually was called to the largest preaching venue in London, Westminster Chapel, near Buckingham Palace. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's an incredible figure, and one thing that I heard him say more than once, now he might have been stealing this from someone else, so keep that in mind, but either way, consider this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, "...from dust thou art, to dust thou shalt return." was never spoken of the soul. You follow the meaning there? From dust thou art, to dust thou shalt return, was never spoken of the soul. What is your soul? You ever think about that? What is it? You can't see it. What is it? What is the soul? You see, to be made in the image of God means that you are a creature more than merely physical parts. You don't only have your physical frame. You're not just a shell. God has made us in His image, and human beings have a sense of our self-awareness. You know that you exist, don't you? You're aware of your own existence. A rock can't say that. Even animals don't have that in the same way that we have that. We know that we are. We know that we exist. We have hearts with desires. We have affections. We have things about us that are more than just our physical frame. We have a soul. And the question that I want to ask you in light of that quote, that that about you that is not seen, that intangible part of you, it's going to go on even after your death. It's going to continue to exist after you die. So the question is, what happens to your soul when your body dies? Now now take... Take a moment to consider the the implications of these questions because we assume a lot. We assume a lot about what's going to happen to us when we die. But let the Scriptures shape your understanding of this. How many of you are familiar? I'll give you two biblical examples of what happens to the soul when you die. What happens? Consequently, there there only are two possibilities. The first we see, and we actually see both of them, And the story, how many of you are familiar with what Jesus told about Lazarus and the rich man? You remember this narrative that Jesus shared on one occasion? There was a man, a beggar, with eat up with sores all over his body named Lazarus. A miserable, miserable life. But he knew God. He trusted God. And when he died, he was taken to a place called Abraham's bosom. Here in Abraham's bosom, this resting place of peace and comfort in the presence of God until the final judgment, that's where Lazarus went. And at the same time, a rich man died. The rich man had all that life could offer him. He was blessed 
financially and in every way. But he did not know God. He did not trust Him. Whenever he died, the Scripture says, Jesus said he went to a place of torment. He went to a place of torment. And this rich man is able to see from a ways off across this great chasm. He sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus. And this rich man in this place of torment cries out to Abraham and says, give some water to me. Put some water in my mouth. Stop this constant burning. This torment. Abraham says the chasm's too far. You can't come here and we can't go there. There's no getting across that chasm after you die. There's no way across it. So the rich man says, well, if I can't be helped, at least send Lazarus to go and warn, warn my brothers. I've got brothers that are alive. I don't want them to come to this place. The answer, what he said was, surely they'll believe if Lazarus is raised from the dead. The answer Abraham gives is they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Scriptures. If they don't believe because of the Word, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. And that's this picture of what happens to the soul when we die. But think about that. People were alive that knew unquestionably, according to the evidence, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And yet, they still persecuted His followers and disciples. It's not a matter of physical evidence. There's something must happen to you. What's the other picture of this? Paul tells us that in the Corinthian church that to the Christian, that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So here's these two realities. Torment, suffering, the presence of God. That's the only two options there are in the Scriptures for the soul. Jesus on another occasion in Luke 12 verse 5 said this, But I will warn you, whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Before that, in the verse before that, verse 4, he said, do not fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill the body and cast you into hell. There's the two options. Hell, suffering, torment, wrath, peace, the presence of God, comfort. The soul continues to exist After we die. And the question is, where will you be? Where will you be? And how do you have security in that? How do you know with absolute confidence what your eternity is going to look like? Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. This is why I ask that. How do you know for sure? I'm sure all of us would say, well, I'm going to be with God when I die. I'm going to be in heaven. Have you ever been to a funeral where the preacher didn't stand up and say, praise God, he's with Jesus now. They always say that. And yet, how many people die with no interest in God? No life's evidence that they ever knew God. This is important. The Scripture says it's better to go to a house of mourning than of celebration. Do you know why? Because it says the living will take it to heart. Whenever those who are alive see somebody died, they know, wait a minute, that's going to happen to me. And cause them to stop and think about the nature of eternity. Jonathan Edwards said, the famous philosopher in the United States, uh, perhaps the greatest philosophical mind that this country has ever produced, he said this, we ought to have eternity stamped on our eyelids to constantly be thinking about the fact that this life is not the end. There is an existence to come. In light of that, I 
I call your attention to Hebrews 3.12. It says this. I mentioned this, I believe, before with you all. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You see the importance of a verse like this? The author to the Hebrews is saying, brothers, he believes these people are Christian. That's why he calls them brother. And he says, be watchful, be careful that you not be found to have an evil heart, an unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. And so I ask, can you right now have certainty that your soul is secure? Can you have confidence? Can you face death with even a measure of excitement with Paul who says that to go to be with him is far better? I don't want to leave the people I care about, but there's something greater awaiting me. Can you say that with confidence? And if you can, what's the source of your confidence? You see, if you are saved, I want to know what is it that guarantees that you're going to stay saved? You ever think about this? You know, angels were in the presence of God. Satan was in the presence of God in heaven. And he fell along with a third of the other angels. Adam and Eve knew the presence of God in the garden, and yet they fell. What's going to keep you from falling 10 million years into eternity? How do you know that your soul will remain secure forever? What's the guarantee for that? What's the guarantee that you don't fall away today or tomorrow? And what's the explanation of those who do fall away? Why is it? Why is it possible that someone who the author to the Hebrews believes is a Christian brother could have an unbelieving heart and fall away? Can a Christian lose their salvation? Can you lose that which God has given you in your soul? Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. You hear what John's saying? If they had been Christian, if they had been saved, truly saved, they would not have left. They left and demonstrated that they didn't really know and love God. The the one who falls away from the living God in Hebrews 3.12 with the evil, unbelieving heart. My Bible tells me that God promises to Christian people He's going to give them a new heart. They're no longer marked by an evil, unbelieving heart. Ezekiel 36 says, I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you have that evil, unbelieving heart in you still, then you are yet separated from God. So in light of these things, what confidence can you have that your eternity is secure? How do you know that you have a certain hope as you look ahead. John 6, verse 37 through 40. Listen to these things. This is from the mouth of Jesus Christ. This is what He says. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me. And whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. First reason for confidence and assurance. Jesus says if you come to Him, He's not going to cast you out. He's not going to tell you you can't come to Him if you come to Him. You can come to Him and He will receive you. Verse 38, He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, 
but raise it up on the last day. Now is this a message with confidence behind it? With hope? With certainty? Jesus says there's not a single person that's been given to me by my Father that I'm going to lose. If Jesus were to turn away one the Father gave Him, imagine this, if someone you love, if you give them a gift, a present, and they look and they say, I don't want that. What does that say about their attitude towards you, the gift giver? In this text, the Father has given a people to His Son. And the Son loves His Father. He's not going to turn away the gift His Father's given Him. He's going to receive it. And He says He'll lose none of it. Not any of it. The next verse says, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Does it sound like there's any question marks in there? Any uncertainties being told to us by Jesus in this text? None at all. Everything He's saying is fixed and certain and absolute and unchanging. You see, the question you might be inclined to ask though, is how is it that Jesus can guarantee this? How is it that Jesus can guarantee to you that if you come to Him and believe in Him, you'll never be cast out, you will not be lost, and you will be raised on the last day? How can He guarantee that? The last Scripture I want to look at with you is from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Consider consider this in light of what we're hearing. How can Jesus guarantee that you have an eternity that's secure, that your soul can rest in? This is how. Paul writes, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the thing that's going to hold you fast for eternity? It is that the Son of God shed His blood for your soul. If you want to know how can you have confidence to look forward and say, I know my soul's secure, it's because Jesus died. That's what He says. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. And you know, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And you know, we have still sin in us. And we'll accuse ourselves when we sin or when we fail. We'll say, you're no longer secure. You must not know God. The answer is, who is going to bring a charge against God's people? No one can bring a charge against God's elect because it's God who's justified them. It's God who said, forgiven. 
When God sees you, if you're resting in His Son, He sees forgiven, righteous, upright, good, perfect even, because of His Son. So here is the question. Here is the charge. In light of these things, what is it that has you now connected to this Jesus? What is it that allows for us to have this kind of unshakable confidence? You know, Jesus promises He's going to raise it up on the last day. You remember that while ago from John 6? He says, I'll raise it up on the last day. You want to know what else Jesus said? The day is coming whenever everyone will hear the voice of the Son of God. Everyone. Both Christians and non-Christians, and they're going to be raised from the dead. Did you know this? The scriptural teaching is that those who die outside of Christ are going to be resurrected from the dead on the last day. And when they are, those who do not know Christ will face the judgment and be cast into hell. But the Christian, the Christian is one whom God will raise in that same moment. He's going to raise them from the grave. He's going to pronounce upon them justified, perfect, sins gone. Because I poured my wrath out on my son instead of this person. He absorbed my wrath for them. And the Scripture tells us Jesus ever lives to make intercession for His people. He never stops pleading our case to God the Father. It also says that if any of us sin as Christians, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer, one making a legal defense for us. His name is Jesus and He's righteous. And He's saying, look to Me. Look to My righteousness. That's what He's calling you to do today. The charge that comes to you is that you would look to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you really do you enter into what I'm telling you? You you all are very precious to me, and I see people that are apart from from uh, some divine intervention, very much closer to stepping out into eternity than I am. I heard a preacher one time say he loved preaching at nursing homes and assisted livings because. He said, the folks there, they've got one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. They're about to make their maker. Is their soul secure? Do they have hope for eternal life? I want you all to enjoy and have encouragement from the Word of God, but I couldn't bear it to know that any one of you, that I had the opportunity to address your soul, that which will go on forever, and did not share this message. You see, it is not true to say that every person will know the presence of God when they die. Not in that way. There's only two possibilities. Look to Christ today and Him crucified and live. Now, sure, if you, if you think that the reason you're accepted by God is because you've done good things, you're a pretty nice person. People like you. You must be good enough for God, probably, maybe. If that's the reason you think you're going to be accepted, what confidence is there in that? You know that you are not right. You know your sin. The Scripture tells you of it. So yeah, there wouldn't be any confidence to the one who's trusting in what they've done. But whenever you can say, my only plea is the blood of the Son of God. He died. He was perfect. He was righteous. And I'm not. That's my only hope. Any doubts you have from that position must be against Christ Himself. 
You must be disbelieving who Jesus is. You must be saying, well, Jesus' death must not have really been enough if you have doubts. If you're trusting Christ, you say, no, He paid it all. He said on the cross, it's finished. There's nothing more to do. It's done. That's what I'm telling you. That our confidence in these things is solely fixed in Jesus. And knowing this, that every reason that God had to cast you into hell was nailed to that tree as He hung upon it. Jesus took the curse on Himself that you deserved. This is the place of soul security. To know that this Jesus who promises to never leave us nor forsake us, He meant it when He said that. And whenever we step out into eternity, we can do so with joy and hope because of Him alone. If you have not come to know this Jesus, I plead with you do. Come to Him now, even today. Cast yourself on the mercy of God in Christ. Turn from sin to Jesus. He's the captain of your eternity. So with that, I'll ask you to bow with me once again and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for using weak and fallible men to proclaim Your Word. I ask, O God, that You would not allow us to leave this place without doing business with You if we haven't already. And God, that if we do know You, that our sense of confidence in You would have increased as we're reminded that You are the founder of our faith. You are the one who's established it since before the world was. You are the one who has declared us justified, and I praise You for that. Oh God, I pray these things would happen to Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.